Hey everyone, welcome to another great episode of the Encounter Grow Witness podcast made for and with our wonderful mission direct people in the Archdiocese of Detroit looking to live out and help each other live out the Unleash the Gospel call the Holy Spirit has poured into our local church. I'm Father Steve Polis and I'm with the awesome Beth Spazarni. Beth, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Fantastic. As we were getting ready uh, to continue breaking open, Unleash the Gospel today, we were talking about uh, pets, and uh, you were sharing an exciting development in the Spazarni yeah, household. It's true, yeah. So my daughter's turning eight soon, and uh, we got her a gerbil, a pet gerbil, which we have not had any pets to this point. Okay. My husband is very anti-pet, never had any growing up, kind of, yeah, not a dog person, kind of like you in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't really like living things, that sort of thing. Yeah, very, very joyful person. I'm glad you're presenting this oh, so well. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, but my daughter just loves taking care of people. Mm. And I have not been able to find a toy that she actually wants to play with. She seems to find most toys oppressive and no, wants them uh, out of her room. No Tamaguchi? No, I, that would have been another angle, wouldn't it? Yeah, okay. that would be. Well, I was looking. I don't know if make, those exist anymore. I'm sure, right? They make toy gerbils that are like fake, obviously, okay. and the fake gerbil is nineteen dollars, but a real gerbil is like ten. Oh. So I was like, is it just commitment? Anyway, we got what, a little gerbil for. Her. What's she a gerbil's lifespan? Like a couple of months? Yeah. Two to years? four years. Two to four years. Okay. Two to four years. Okay. And is it I a, really tried to learn, like, how old is the gerbil we just got? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm really, I just want to plan my next year. <laughs> Does it have like a cane with yeah, it? Yeah. It looks big. That's all. So I, I know what a baby gerbil looks like, and I don't think this is one. So I'm a little concerned. So two to four about hours. How many, how many miles are on the tank? But it's just right. the cutest little thing. So I'm confident it was the right decision, but uh, check back with me in six okay. months. <laughs> <laughs> and and the other thing I have to ask is the gerbil, yeah. you know, saying your husband's not a big pet person. Yeah. Love him. Great job, Kevin. Oh, um, <laughs> uh, the other thing I have to ask, is the gerbil a gateway pet to it may be, a dog but it, or a it would horse be impressive for us like to that. get to a dog or a horse. Um, okay. I have had, uh, so Brennan at Shrine, he was telling me about guinea pigs and that guinea pigs actually have a lot of personality. So at most, I'm seeing this as a gateway pet to maybe move us to a larger small pet that lives inside <laughs> well, of a cage. What's a, a gerbil is a rodent? <laughs> yes. Is that fair? Yes. Like a rat or a yes. uh, mm -hmm. um, a raccoon or uh, something like yeah, that? Hamster, Those are all rodents? Mouse. Hamster. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Rats. Yeah. Things like that. My yeah. son wants a snake, so this could get really exciting Ooh. around our house, but I'm definitely a no on the snake. Well, that'll take care of the it. gerbil. I know. Right? That's <laughs> the problem. Yeah. It's a big ick for me. No, thank you. Mm -mm. But uh, we've been, you know, talking in this year of our Lord, 2023, yeah. about doing a little reset and looking back at Unleash the Gospel. Mm -hmm. It's been uh, a number of years since it came out now, mm -hmm. 2017. So, uh, you know, taking some time to say, okay, let's go back and understand mm -hmm. what this call really was meant to be, how we understand it. And how we can live it out, you know, mm -hmm. a lot a lot has changed since it first came out. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure everyone's sick of talking about Corona and mm -hmm. the pandemic yeah. and all that. And um, families of parishes. And families of, of parishes has been a huge change. So how do we understand this? How do we live mm -hmm. it? What does it look like for us to still be, you know, focused mm -hmm. and have our attention on not just the practicalities that mm -hmm. we have to care about, but really the mission and the heart of it that um I think we both believe the Holy Spirit was calling our church to in mm -hmm. this uh, in this document. So uh, today we're going to look at some of the roots of the crisis. Mm -hmm. You say roots or ruts? 
Oh, come on. Nobody said. Well, I ruts? say roots. I believe. Not, not roots. roots of the yeah. crisis? No. Okay. okay. Not that. The roots of the, the roots crisis. The of the crisis. And yeah. um, as usual, Beth is like the wizard of taking notes and being ready for it. And I'm like, oh, let's just have a conversation. Let's talk yeah. about it. And Beth is like, no, I, I got my notes. I'm ready to go. So she is like loaded with awesome content. And I'm just going to yeah. like, hey, that's a great idea, Beth. So l- let's dive into there are three sections of this yep. in, in the document on uh, what the roots of the crisis are. Mm-hmm. But it, it starts with some quotes from John Paul and Benedict. Yeah. Beth, w- where do you want to start in, in looking at this? Yeah, I, I was thinking about the roots of the crisis. And I think we have kind of two, in my mind, I think there's two kind of errors that we can fall into. I think the first is just pretending like the church and everything around us is the same as it was 50 years ago and keep yeah. doing everything the way we've always done things as church. Yeah. Um, and I think this section really challenges us to think, <laughs> no, there's some big things that have shifted. Yeah. There's some things in the water that are making us sick that we're not perhaps fully mm. aware of. Um, but then I think the other side that we can err into that for me, I find more attractive um, <laughs> is to fall into just despair. Yeah. Be like, okay, yes, these things are so deeply entrenched. We'll just never, that's just it then. Yeah. Too bad. How sad. Yeah. Right. And yet I think the popes and the documents that are, you know, quoted briefly in here, they offer so much hope about um, new methods and new ardor, but also hope that, you know, we should have the same confidence that the, the apostles had on Pentecost, yeah. no matter what the roots are that we're talking about. I think yeah. that's so good. You know, I'm teaching at the seminary. This is my second year doing this. So, like, my life is it's not totally academic, I don't think, right? I don't think I've made to be totally academic. <laughs> but there's a whole lot more of, like, reading documents, study, and learning yeah. um, on a deeper end. And, and just learning about theology Theology so often is this holding two things in tension, Mm. whereas heresy is like abandoning one for the other, right? That Christ is just divine and wasn't really in in Mm. human flesh Mm -hmm. is one extreme. Or Christ was just like a man who did really great things, right? He wasn't really God. Like, no, the the theological truth revealed to us Mm. is holding these two two things in tension. Uh, Same with like how scripture came about, right? Mm -hmm. It's either... Like God took Matthew's hand and and traced the word of God, or Matthew wrote it and it's just a human word. Like, no, there's both, right? It's truly the word of God and truly yeah. Matthew's word. Um, and just like you're saying, right, yeah. the, the tension here can be either to despair and throw the culture out yeah. and say like, all right, well, we just have to kind of huddle up and run off to the hills and hide. Right, right. Or to say, well, just keep doing what we're doing and yeah, we don't need to change anything. Yeah, just leave it all alone. Just keep yeah. doing. Yeah, and to hold those two tensions of there are serious things wrong with the culture, but the gospel can speak truth into this time and situation. But we need to, as Gaudium et Spes says, we need to have uh, the ability to read the signs of the times Absolutely. and to bring the truth of the gospel into those those times. Yeah, Absolutely. The Pope, it was John Paul II, and um, the, the letter that's cited in this section is Novo Millennio Inuente, and he says... Ooh, that's a fun one to say. It is. That's the last word that makes me nervous. <laughs> How do you say the last word? Um, Novo Millennio Yeah. See, that's what I say, too. Good, good. We're the same, then. <laughs> so, it, it, uh, it's like I-N-E-U-N-T-E uh-huh, or something, yep. Inuente. Yep. So the bit that he's quoting is in section 40, and it says, Even in countries evangelized many centuries ago, the reality of a Christian society, which amid all the frailties which have always marked human life, Life, measured itself explicitly on gospel values is now gone. Yeah. Today we must courageously face a situation which is becoming increasingly diversified and demanding. Over the years I've often repeated the summons to a new evangelization. I do so again now. 
It just goes on, and then he says, you know, the, the, the church must have a new sense of mission, which cannot be left to a group of specialists, but must involve all the members of the people of God. Those who have come into genuine contact with Christ cannot keep him for themselves. They must proclaim him. Mm. So even here he's saying, look, all of these things have changed, and yet everyone is called to make Christ known. If we've come into contact with him, we must make him known. Yeah. Yeah. And he's writing this 20-some years ago, right? Yeah. Uh, This is at the dawn of the new new millennium, millennium, right? That's what those fancy words mean. Uh, At the, you know, entry of the new millennium. So the end of 2000 into 2001 about the fracturing or the um, dissipating, quote-unquote, Christian society. And um, it's only been exacerbated now. but that's yeah. not an excuse to to give up on it, right? right? That like Christ has put you and me, Beth, into yeah. our society so that we can be his hands and feet, yep. so that we can be his light and salt for the earth. Um, and uh, we need to take up that charge with confidence and joy, mm. um, but with a kind of sobriety that yeah. there are lots of people who don't want to, maybe don't want to hear the message is wrong, but who... They think uh, they've heard uh, it. Yeah, yeah, and they don't see it as good news, right? Right. I mean, how many times do we see people kind of bucket Christianity yeah. and the beauty of the Catholic Church as not good news? Yeah. Right? And, you know, those of you in parishes see this time and again in all the practical yeah. ways of, okay, these are the requirements yeah, for confirmation. For, yeah, <laughs> like, yep. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Come on. can't. Isn't there an easy way to do it? Or, yeah. you know, if Mass is two minutes over an hour, like... wrap it up already yeah Yeah. um and the way our society you know and we're all affected by it too right we're not immune from this and so it's always a call um for us to have confidence in this truth but also to know with eyes open um the people that are you know are are kind of caught up in the culture more deeply Mm -hmm. and how we help them see something more important than just um the values the world is proposing. Yeah. Um, and yeah. There, there's a couple of different categories we have mm-hmm. here. So I, I don't know if you, I know no, we were ahead. talking about Pope Benedict earlier too. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we want to jump to him or more the kind of the three categories mm-hmm. that the archbishop puts in there. Well, let me give one more just to give us, yeah, again, yeah. the hope. So the, the bit that's quoted in here from Pope Benedict is he says, the real problem at this moment of our history is that God is disappearing from the human horizon. And with the dimming of the light, which comes from God, humanity is losing its bearings with increasingly evident destructive effects. And right before he says that, which is so challenging, he says, in our days when in vast areas of the world, the faith is in danger of dying out like a flame, which no longer has fuel, the overriding priority is to make God present in this world and to show men and women the way to God. And I think recognizing the roots of the crisis is a way that we can recognize, if, we, if we're called in this moment to show men and women the way to God, we have to know what's holding them back. We have to know what, what yeah, what's what's making us sick in the water that we're drinking, right? Yeah. The TV we're consuming, the things we're listening to. Surely not this. Hopefully, we're not <laughs> passing on poison in our no, speech. No, no, this is the antidote. We hope. Yeah. Um, and just to kind of take a moment, you know, I don't know about you, but for me, Pope Benedict was a real hero. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, John Paul was the <laughs> um, kind of the like born to be in front on the stage, yeah. right? Had all the charisma, yeah. um, felt very comfortable, I think, in, in a place like World Youth Day yeah. or, uh, you know, in front of 
hundreds of thousands or at times millions of people mm-hmm. um, and just was was born with those kinds of gifts yeah. uh, as well as all the intellectual um, capabilities. Pope Benedict had a, a little bit more of a shy personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think was, you know, loving the... Um, yeah. The rock star nature of the Pope that, you know, that, that the modern world has, right, mm-hmm. that, that the audience is so large and technology spreads it out to so many people. Mm-hmm. But his writings are so deep mm-hmm. and so beautiful and personal. Mm-hmm. I remember, so I entered seminary soon after he was made Pope. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember reading his first encyclical when I was in seminary, Deus mm-hmm. Caritas Asked, God yeah. is Love. And, you know, sometimes he could have a reputation for being like, I think someone called him God's Rottweiler mm-hmm. because he was yeah. the head of the doctrine of the faith. Right. And he had to, a number of times say like, no, this thing being proposed here is mm-hmm. outside the bounds of right. Christianity, right? Like if you go down that road, that's not going to lead you to an authentic understanding of the mm-hmm. gospel and the person of Christ. And so he had to do some of that. And so he got a reputation in some quarters for being harsh. But to read his writings were mm-hmm. so personal and beautiful. Um, and and th- this is what, you know, we're being called to, but just in like Deo, Deus Caritas Est, he writes this beautiful line of being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice mm-hmm. or a lofty idea. Yeah. And you're nodding. You know this I one, I love right? this one. But with the encounter of an event, but the encounter with an event, mm-hmm. a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. Yeah. And it's just so true, right? Especially as we struggle to present the faith to other people that, um, and we'll talk about these challenges Mm -hmm. here, but like being a Christian means I've come into contact with Jesus and he's made a difference in my life. And we were talking about like thinking about what that means last month, right? But that being Christian is not just assenting to a set of ethical uh, ideas or even theological truths. It's much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And those are true, yeah. but that's not the, the foundation right. of it. The foundation of it is an encounter with the person mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's always what we're calling um, each other to. And that's yeah. always the way we propose the gospel, especially in a diminishingly Christian society. Yeah. Yeah. And that Christ gives direction to our lives. Yeah. Right. That that the encounter with Christ gives direction to our lives. Yeah. when, And so then if you remove that. Then what is giving direction to our lives? Uh, there's me, just so many. Right? Yeah, me. My desires, right? whether those are yeah. sexual desires or those are desires yeah. for comfort or yeah. those are anger or wh- wherever, yeah. like the desires of my heart are not integrated into a relationship right. with the Lord, right. then they become. A, a but de- they also shift. Yeah. You and, and in a way, like our desires change so frequently. If that's all you're building your life on, it's. Yeah. I, I, I often think that it's it's just hard that we don't ponder sufficiently um, the difference that Jesus makes so that we can imagine what it would be like to live through all the same challenges that we have mm-hmm. without a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. I just, I think we, I think none of us can really reflect on that enough um, to really get a sense of, I mean, I think to do so would be to develop a heart for the lost, right? That yeah. people around us have lost their bearings. Um, they're navigating without maps. Mm-hmm. And um, the church has spoken about these different things that that aren't good, that don't, as you say, lead to authentic flourishing, yeah. right? The authentic gospel lived out doesn't involve these different things, but... Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so keeping in mind the beauty and the, the lofty idea the, or the lofty... Um, or the uh, sorry, the uh, the new horizon mm. that 
that this opens up to these uh, the challenges and the roots of the crisis are laid out for us here and and there are mm-hmm. three right scientific fundamentalism mm-hmm. moral therapeutic deism and mm-hmm. secular messianism yeah big words big right? words yeah <laughs> impress your friends with these big words That's especially right. if you kind of like furrow your brow as you say it to make it sound like it's really important and profound <laughs> like that uh, th- that's good but yeah. uh, let's talk about what these are yeah yeah, so scientific fundamentalism, right? The idea that everything, everything, all the questions about human existence in the world can be answered by science, right? Mm-hmm. When I was in high school, I had some friends, and <laughs> I, I was a weird high schooler. But after high no, school, yeah, I was Beth, no. um, on Fridays, we would walk around outside after school and talk to people about God and share the gospel. Yeah. That's what I mean by I was a normal <laughs> high school student. And um, I remember there was one of my classmates that I was in all these classes with, and I... I was kind of talking to her about these questions and she's like, well, I don't really believe, like, I don't, I'm not really a, like a believer faith person. Like, she's just like, I just think science will answer everything. And I said, has science answered everything yet? And she's like, not yet, but like, I'm sure it will Yeah. in time. And I, I think that's scientific fundamentalism, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's approaching, you know, there's this really obnoxious, um, atheist, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of him? Mm-hmm. He's one of these, um, uh, astro people astrophysicists mm-hmm. or whatever but like he made you know he makes these ridiculous comments uh, on twitter once every now and then and one of them was like the telescopes that we have sent out to explore the universe mm-hmm. have shown us there is no so much like where is heaven if they mm-hmm. haven't found heaven yet where is heaven right and you're just like what yeah. a right like that to me is scientific fundamentalism yeah. right if i can't see it with a telescope then it's not real it doesn't exist yeah and, yep. you know, it's a little bit like going to your mom and saying, show me scientifically that you love me. Yeah. Like, OK, there are so many things that science can't mm-hmm. explain or scientifically explain a deep friendship you have with someone mm-hmm. that like once you're, you're with them, you just feel comfortable or like mm-hmm. you laugh at their joke in a way you wouldn't laugh at someone else's right. joke or someone that just kind of, you know, makes you into the best version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Someone who helps you become um, more generous or more kind, like sci- explain that to me scientifically, right? Like, okay, right. you can talk about neurons, but people are much deeper than yeah. just kind of synapses in the brain. Yeah. And um, reality is so much richer yeah. than that, right? The bond of a mother with a child. Y- yeah, there's some chemical things going on, mm-hmm. but if your only explanation to what's going on in someone or between mm-hmm. people is a chemical or right. a um, biological reaction, right. man, you're, you're just living life in black and white, right? right? You're not right. seeing the rich tapestry of, of yeah. the reality around us. Yeah. And I think people get lost, right? Because they think that it's faith, that faith and reason, faith and science are opposed, you know? Yeah. So to help people see that they're not. But like, how, how do we, how do we counter scientific fundamentalism in like the efforts we're making in the church and in our catechesis? Because people who believe these things are still coming to mass. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and in a way, like it's in, it's in the water, right? We right. all, I mean, how many times through COVID did you hear, well, we're, I'm following the science. And <laughs> yeah. so, da, 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 da. Capital S science okay. kind of thing, right? Yeah. Which is just, I shut my brain off. Yeah. yeah. Well, be, and it was shifting. Right? right, because science right. does. Science is not a permanent, enduring reality. It's not right. a, a forever trustworthy source of truth, right? It, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, how, how do we combat this? Yeah. Right. I think you know Bishop Barron talks a lot about this. Father mm-hmm. Spitzer, who, mm-hmm. um, who who speaks a lot on faith and science together. We have tremendous resources. I think a couple of things I would say is mm-hmm. to understand how many 
of the most brilliant scientists we have were mm-hmm. deep men and women of faith. Amen. That yeah. there is not an implicit contradiction between these two. Mm-hmm. And we know this because of all of the advancements <laughs> that have mm-hmm. come to us in botany or in yeah. astronomy or all the scientific fields yeah. um, that have come to us from deeply convicted religious believers. Yeah. Um, I'm listening to the catechism in a year this year, mm-hmm. and Father Mike is... Father Mike Schmitz, this yeah. priest, maybe you've heard of him. I think so. Ma- maybe some of our listeners yeah, have Yeah, I believe of him he's too. come to Shrine recently. <laughs> oh, that's right. And will yeah. return again. Maybe that's where he got the idea oh, to so. do this. So. <laughs> um, anyway, he puts it very well, I think, that you know, science asks the question of what mm-hmm. and how, and faith asks the question of who mm-hmm. did this and why, why did it happen. Yeah. I think those are, are both good ways to understand it. Bishop Barron, I think, talks about it in a way that I think is helpful to say, don't feel like you always have to be on the defensive, Mm. right? Like people's arguments are often pretty weak on this and they'll Mm -hmm. come at us or they'll come at believers or Mm -hmm. others with a a kind of push. You know, don't be afraid to push back a little Mm -hmm. bit, right? Like like, there's no coherent way to understand the beginning of the universe without something from the outside. And if you say the Big Bang, that was developed by a Catholic priest who who didn't develop it just out of faith, developed it out of a a scientific understanding. Nothing comes out of just pure nothing. Everything has a cause that brings it into being. So I think to be able to push back a little bit on some Mm -hmm. of these arguments and not feel like we always have to be on the defensive Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. th- those are some some of yeah. my thoughts like about it, how yeah. we can counteract scientific yeah. fundamentalism. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think celebrating the, the Catholic scientists in our tradition that have been so faithful and mm. so, uh, so I mean, they've made such significant contributions right, yeah. to science and the understanding of the universe and the world and medicine and all these things. I, I think incorporating that into our teachings. And I, I mean, I know we can often tend to speak theology and stay with theology, but to make the connections into the world, I think yeah. will lend credibility and open people's ears to recognize that that we don't see faith in science as opposed, right? Yeah. Um, I, and I also just wonder, like, I, I've seen a number of programs that are coming at it more from the angle, coming at scientific fundamentalism and evoking wonder in all that is Mm, and in so doing right to help people consider the intelligibility that we assume (laughs) about this universe yeah right why would things be ordered why would there be intelligence why would things make sense why would we find order and laws and rules why wouldn't it just be absolute chaos (laughs) you know and that that then should lead us to these questions of who and why yeah right yeah um order doesn't come about randomly Right. No, it it, it it doesn't usually, no. <laughs> if you see like a bookshelf just kind of everything perfectly organized, you don't say, oh, that's funny how that yeah. just happened, right? Yeah. Like, oh, someone did that. Yeah. Um, so order comes about through someone bringing order into it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's that's great. That's a great one. Yeah. Um, I see this a lot, especially in young people. Right. And I do mm-hmm. think our education needs to help them understand it. And there are some really good resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think our Catholic schools and our Catholic faith formation needs to help them think through these problems mm-hmm. as well so that they don't um, just, as you mentioned, you know, the poison in the water mm-hmm. um, that's making us sick. They don't just kind of let Accept that seep it. in and just yeah. say like, OK, well, I have my faith over here and then I yeah. you know, understand science on this other area and I just have to kind of live with two things that don't really 
um, that are that I think are mutually opposed to each other, and I right. feel like I have to choose a side. Yeah, that's not the Catholic point of view at right. all. I think also I wonder if scientific fundamentalism is safe. Um, it's a safe place to find rest from the big why questions that we have a hard time answering. Mm. I was just speaking to someone who, you know, someone they love had lost the faith and she was wondering if it was because their childhood friend had drowned, mm. you know, and like, how do you, how do you hold that together with the idea that there is a faithful God who loves us, right? Yeah. And draws good out of everything. And so in a sense, I wonder if when, when people don't know how to handle the big why questions of like, why would the Lord allow this abuse in my family? Why would the Lord allow these different things? If, and I, I'm just, these are just private wonderings in my mind. Like, is it, is that why maybe it's easier just to think hmm. black and white, clean cut, like, let's just take the science and yeah, I don't know. I think that's really good. I think that is a really good point, Beth. That sometimes people get hurt or they have yeah. trauma and it's hard and they can just kind of shut off that part of yeah. thinking about it um, because a relationship of faith means opening that area up. And, yeah. and anytime we open that up, there's a danger that, you know, it's going to get yeah. hurt or it's going to get wounded yeah. more so. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. That's why you're the star. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's look at moralistic therapeutic deism. Yeah, great. I, I, so I, when I was youth minister for 10 years and I was like chomping at the bit when these studies were coming out. So the, the term comes from the national study on youth and religion done by Christian Smith. And yeah. I, I mean, I know you've worked with youth ministry a ton too, but I just loved the, um, the kind of the, the term they, they, they came up with this term basically as a summary for what young people seem to believe. And did you find <laughs> right? this to be accurate? Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So the idea, right. That, and I'll, it's, it's described in unleash the gospel, but the idea, right. That moralistic, that Teens or at the time, young people generally just think like it's about being a good person, being nice, mm -hmm. you know, maybe being responsible, right. just generally being nice. Yeah. And then therapy, the therapeutic bit that God is there when I need to listen or when I need him to listen right. rather that like I'm, I'm this is hard. What should I do? <laughs> but seeing God more as like the divine butler. Right. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, the deist part that that God is just di removed, yeah. right? Removed from our lives. He's, uh, God created the world and then yeah. stepped back. Yeah. Right. And he's like, okay, yeah. there you go. So you just have to generally be nice. That's all. And then when things get hard, you can talk to God if you want to, but you don't have to. And yeah. he's not really involved in the world. Yeah. These are the tenets <laughs> of their moralistic therapeutic deism. Yeah. And Chris, uh, go yeah. ahead. Well, I was just going to say, what does this sound like? When you encounter this, what does it look like? What does it sound like? <laughs> well, I've seen this video Christian Smith did on this where he interviews teens and you just see them one after another talking about this, yeah. right? Like, I don't think God really wants to be intimately involved in my life. Yeah. And you see it from different perspectives. One yeah. of them is like, he's got more important things to do, hmm. right? Yeah. Like, I'm not that, <laughs> yeah. I'm not that important and mm -hmm. uh, he's got more important things to do. Or it doesn't feel like he's super involved, yeah. right? So right. like, okay, well, you know, okay, maybe he created everything, but he's not super interested yeah. in my life. And uh, yeah. yeah, as you mentioned, the therapeutic part that like, I'll check in when I need something. Yeah. Right? I forgot to study for the test or prepare for a podcast. Mm -hmm. Come Lord, help me and save me. Right. Yeah. Like I need you now. Prayer is the like, yeah. um, you know, calling out when, when there's a problem. Yeah. Um, and I think the way you talk about it is therapy or a butler, right? Yeah. You, we ring our bell when we need something, yeah. but it's not relational in no. a way that is ongoing mm -mm. um and then the moral life yeah that there's just kind of general aspect of don't hurt other people yeah right be, as be long good. as you don't do that you're a good person right, right? and yeah. i just think how well, well before we get into like making a judgment on it or 
diagnosing how to how to solve it. Mm-hmm. I see this a lot with young people. Of course. Right? Um, yeah. So many of them have a, a pretty um, shallow understanding of God, or they don't know how to pray, mm-hmm. or prayer is kind of reciting something, or you pray yeah. before a test, or you thank God for your food. And, and again, all, all good mm-hmm. things. Of course. But there's not a kind of invest in, investment in myself, mm-hmm. and there certainly isn't an expectation for God to have a personal plan for mm-hmm. my life. And then I would say that one of the other big findings that they found in all of that stuff was that young people have the faith of their parents. And so I would turn that these, you know, all of this reflection yeah. on young people around and say, I wonder where they got all of these crazy <laughs> ideas. <laughs> it was the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> we gave them these ideas, right? Yeah. As parents, you know, so I see this even in older parishioners as well and people just in my life, right? That it kind of is, um, it's sort of a, a comfort um, to people. There's, It's hard to become very interested in faith if you have these tenets, right? If you really yeah. don't think God is involved in your life, that God has more important things to do than, <laughs> than be personally involved in your life, then it kind of everything seems a lot less important as yeah. far as church stuff, you yeah. know? Just don't be a bad person. And <laughs> if something's really hard, you can pray, I guess. Yeah. yeah and maybe even treating it like, um, I've seen this in a few cases where like the trivia part of it is interesting in the Catholic faith. Like, oh, mm-hmm. that's interesting mm-hmm. how we do that. Or like, oh, I never knew that, huh? Interesting, yeah. right? Uh, w- which we can often have, which isn't a bad yeah. thing per se, but there's not a sense of this is meant to change my life. Yeah. That the gospel makes a demand yeah. on me oh, yeah. that changes my life. It's Big not demands. an interesting tidbit like, you know, George Washington actually had red hair. Like, oh, <laughs> oh that's kind of cool. Oh, I didn't know that. Put that in my back pocket for a for Is a that party. actually true? Well, I'll let our it listeners is not decide. true. It is not true. No. <laughs> um, no, it's not. As far as I know, it's not true. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way we encounter God is yeah. a discipleship relationship. Yeah. And to read the Gospels, again, you know, I think with our eyes open, is just to see the ultimate claim Jesus is making yeah. and inviting us. And the paradox, Ron and I were talking about this um, mm-hmm. When, when I, I was here. late, <laughs> go ahead and slide that in. <laughs> no, I, I did not say he did. that. He did. He was looking I, at me. That's what I, he was thinking. I was going to say when I got here early. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, on time. But Ron and I were we were just talking about like obedience and you know the call of um, following Jesus in a, yeah. in a complete way and how that makes a demand on it on does. me yep. that is freeing. And there's yeah. a paradox to that, yes. right? That's really hard to see because yeah. a lot of times people just see it as like, I'd rather have a deistic God, a God who set the world in motion and yeah. leaves me alone, rather than a God who's going to keep asking me for things. Just leave me alone. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, maybe you want that. And even thinking of other relationships, yeah. right? Maybe you, there's a kid who's just like, mom, just leave me alone. I don't want, you know, like you're bugging me too much. Your mm. dad, stop stop being around so much yeah my kids like, never say that <laughs> okay maybe one of them <laughs> but then there's like yeah. you know maybe that on some level they want that but yeah. really none of us wants to be left alone no like that's a that's a place of hurt if we want yeah. that right i mean we want to be known and loved and we want to share life with others yeah. and god wants that for yeah. us yeah, there's another quote in um, Pope John Paul's Novo Millennio Innuente, where I thought that just Innuente. one phrase of it, I said it a little clearer than that. <laughs> well, there was one phrase that I thought 
Is this, is this an antidote to moralistic therapeutic deism? So here's the quote. It says, Christ must be presented to all people with confidence. We shall address adults, families, young people, children, without ever hiding the most radical demands of the gospel message, mm. but taking into account each person's needs in regard to their sensitivity and language. I just thought, like, just as you're saying, right? Yeah. Like, actually, like, the, 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 the quiet kind of... Con- what is it contentment of moralistic therapeutic deism like actually the radical demands of the gospel are a great antidote to that right to invite people to wake up and really hear the full call to become like christ yeah yeah that it's scary for sure but it's so much more fulfilling and it's so much you know i don't want to keep using the word richer but that's what i think of it as it's so much richer yeah um to have that relationship with christ in that way yeah um and to just, and I think about my own preaching, I, like, how do I convey this, right? Mm-hmm. That it's not just an interesting story from yeah. centuries ago. Yeah. Like, this is new and being in, we're being offered this here yeah. and now. And uh, that always means I have to, you know, make a response of myself, um, yeah. which, which costs something. So. And I think to that end, like the other things when I think about how do we counter this in our efforts and in our catechesis, especially in sacrament prep, right? Because yeah. that's when we really cast the widest net of people who have to be there yeah. and kind of are looking at us with those scowly faces sometimes. Um, and I just wonder, like, how do we, how can, I, I think for me, one of the things I find myself feeling convicted is to speak about my own personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Because it's so contrary to the deist mentality, right? Of yeah. just be good-ish <laughs> and like things will be fine. But like sharing personal witnesses about wh- how we've been personally moved by the person of Christ or, yeah. you know, what we've been hearing from God in prayer. You know, um, for me, I, I, I was listening to something a few weeks ago and I was just feeling the Lord call me to be more transparent like to bring mm. all of myself to my ministry, to bring all of myself and not to be unprofessional about like, here's what I'm struggling with and please help me. Right. Yeah. But like more like here's, here's a, a, an area I'm seeing the Lord, like bring healing. Here's something that I'm really struggling yeah. with. You know, here's something from childhood that I'm still working through. Right. And yeah. just in the little ways I've been doing that in one-on-one conversations, people have cried, multiple people have cried. And I'm just trying to make people cry, <laughs> but people <laughs> well, have cried. Well, well done. People have, but like, you, like <laughs> no. I can see there's an impact, yeah. you know, because yeah. it was something the Lord called me to do right yeah. so i think the more we can choose to be transparent about our relationship with jesus the hard parts too i think that'll move people because they don't even for so many don't even have the idea of a personal relationship with jesus you yeah. know yeah no that's beautiful beth that's awesome that do you he, cry? he's working to, i no i don't <laughs> it wasn't <Sorry>. that transparent <laughs> but the way that like yeah. you know you're able to share even in imperfect parts of yourself the yeah. way God's working or, or something that you'd rather yeah. not share, right? Because yeah. there, there's always a little scariness of of, course. of that vulnerability there. Yeah. Um, think about, you know, working in the seminary here. I live with the seminarians. I live in their hallway. So right. they see when I'm having a bad day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I'm, you know, when I'm a little late for something right. or a little impatient yeah. or maybe more than a little impatient. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I see that in them. And that's yeah. meant to be like, I think, not to go off on a tangent on priestly formation, but there's an idea of priestly formation being mm-hmm. in that context of mm-hmm. vulnerability and sharing life together. Yeah. And like them not just seeing, you know, me when I'm all polished and ready to yeah. present myself, but, you know, kind of living in the messiness of life together in community. So true. Yeah. And I think that's even another way to counter some of this stuff is the speaking about the times when we've come to know Jesus as Savior. 
yeah. and speaking about our need for his mercy, right? I, I went to confession a few weeks back and I dragged along the kids because my husband wanted to go too. And we we're like, you know what? Let's just do this thing. And my littlest guy was like, this is so boring. I can't believe you're making me do this. And my daughter, who will make her first reconciliation soon, you know, I, I was kind of explaining to her what I was doing. And I, and I asked her to forgive me for like my impatience mm. and like the harshness that, you know, when I'm, I'm in a rush and I... Anyway, yeah. so I asked her to forgive me. Then I said, I'm going to go in and tell Jesus that I'm sorry and ask him to forgive me. I mm. said, will you forgive me? I'm sorry. And she just looked at me for a moment and she got very still. And then she just hugged me. <laughs> you know? And I was like, oh, I think she got it. But I think she also sees that her mom needs a savior. Yeah. Right. And that I know that I think gives her a lot of hope. Oh, <laughs> right. That's great. That's yeah. Great. Wow. Yeah. Man. This is great, Beth. Let, let's talk about the third one. Yeah. Let's get into secular messianism. And here, Unleash mm-hmm, the Gospel mm-hmm. calls it a politicized version of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Makes the gospel subservient to a human agenda. And it can come from both a liberal or a conservative side and reduce Christianity to a program of social progress in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where we see, you know, our faith um, as a means to a human end instead Mm -hmm. of everything else uh, subservient to our relationship with Christ, Mm -hmm. right? So I think about in secular messianism, I think, well, salvation comes in this world first and foremost or only in this world. And I don't think about, you know, everything in this world leading to my ultimate homeland Mm -hmm. or Christ being king, not just of heaven, but king, Mm -hmm. you know, king of heaven and earth. Yeah. what what are your thoughts on this? Uh, this one's harder for me. I, I yeah. like I don't feel like I hear this one as much um, in people that I speak with and interact with in the parishes and in my own lives. The only thing I can think of is politics. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we I definitely see people with a loss of hope or a lack of hope after elections. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, is our hope for this world only yeah. right or like. I don't I don't know. I guess and maybe I'm just more realistic. I, I'm not surprised that that the laws of our country don't reflect my faith because my contemporaries don't share my faith. Yeah. Right. And I want them to, and I want them to know what authentic flourishing looks like. And I want a country in which that's possible, but I'm also not surprised that people don't understand and don't see it. I I see this a little bit um, in, well, more than a little bit. Here's how I see it. Mm -hmm. I see it in a way that people's political views or political allegiance um, shapes their Christianity or their Catholic faith, right? So they'll take from a secular source, Fox News, MSNBC, NPR, and they'll let that be the the determinant factor to evaluate a teaching of the church or understanding something from the gospel, right? So the gospel becomes conditioned or their Catholic faith becomes conditioned by a political outlook or a cultural social worldview instead of letting the gospel be 11 for how they see everything else. And and it it can just be disheartening to say, okay, like, you know, we need to be engaged in the affairs of the world, right? I mean, very few of us are called to be uh, monks set apart, and you're probably Mm -hmm. not listening to a podcast if you're called to be set apart from the affairs of the world. Um, But the amount of time and attention that I give to that is does that take primacy over the time and attention I give to my faith, right? And when there's a tension between maybe my political allegiance and what my faith is calling me to do, and, you know, we can look at this from liberal and conservative, so to take, like, pretty pretty, uh, um, 
clear examples, right? Um, statistics mm-hmm. show that liberal Catholics often dissent from the church on abortion. Mm-hmm. And so they say uh, there yeah. can be this approach of, well, I'm Catholic, but I'm not going to let the teaching of the gospel in mm-hmm. the Catholic church shape my understanding on the life and dignity of the child in the womb. Right. And we can take it on the other side. Conservative Catholics often um, dissent from the church's teaching on the death penalty mm-hmm. or on immigration. And yeah. I say, okay, well, my political allegiance in these areas mm-hmm. is um, more predominant or you know, um, causes me to critique the gospel's call to welcome the stranger yeah. or to care for the, to, to see the value of life, even of someone who's done an unspeakable crime. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's a call for all of us because we are political by nature and mm-hmm. there's this demand to put us in a political camp mm-hmm. over and above mm-hmm. our, um, our faith yeah. in our society to say, you know, is my first allegiance to Christ mm-hmm. or is it to my political ideology or some other social cultural um, ideology? Yes. I think overall with these, um, again, and I, and I mentioned it before, but like I see like the real challenge to to have kind of a deficit of hope in general, yeah. right? When we look at these these roots of the crisis, right? It's so easy to be like, oh yeah, these are all really big. <laughs> these are all really big problems that we live with every yeah. day. Um, and I, I just, I, I was praying with um, Jesus calling Peter out of the boat um, the other day and how Peter walks on the water towards mm, Jesus and yeah. then seeing the wind and the waves, he begins to fall. Right. Yeah. And just wondering like, how, how are we called to keep our eyes on the one who called us to walk on the water in the first place, you yeah. know, instead of all these other things that seem so bad. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think we've mentioned this before, but this will be my last comment. Then I'll let yeah. you let you bring us home for wisdom you want to have yeah. on, on the end of that. Is we've talked about it before. We can romanticize a different time or a culture where right. there were different challenges, or maybe in our mind there were not the challenges. So <laughs> maybe that's 1950 for mm-hmm. some people, or maybe that's the you know the time of St. Thomas Aquinas, or maybe mm-hmm. we wish. Like we were in the time of Jesus and walking around with him in Galilee yeah. or in Jerusalem. And like that would have been easier, right? Yeah. Uh, so we can romanticize these other times. True. But the call that Christ has given us is to be disciples here and now. That's right. And so not to give, uh, not to be hopeless mm-hmm. in these times and certainly not to be like um, complicit in the roots of this cr- of the crisis that we're in, right? To be yeah. clear-eyed. That, okay, we have lots of work to do. Mm-hmm. This is the work the Lord has set before us. That's right. And to have hope that we don't do it alone. And if yeah. he calls me out of the boat and I'm walking on the water and it's windy and it's, mm-hmm. and I think, what the heck am I doing? Like, yeah. I don't look at myself, my own weakness or my own challenges. Right. I keep my eyes on Jesus yeah. and, uh, and to be clear eyed in this is the time we were given. So yeah. to, you know, to set our our hands and our feet to the work the Lord has set before us here. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we talked about Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict. And so I thought we should bring Pope Francis in too. Yeah. Um, And he spoke about this too in the joy of the gospel. Um, He said, the evils of our world and those of the church must not be excuses for diminishing our commitment and our fervor. Let us look upon them as challenges which can help us to grow. With the eyes of faith, we can see the light which the Holy Spirit always radiates in the midst of darkness. And then he closes saying, the fact that we are more realistic must not mean that we are any less trusting in the spirit or less generous. Mm. Even though we're realistic here about these roots of the crisis and the challenges that we face and mission direct in our churches, 
uh, that should not make us any less trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit, who is as alive and powerful today as he has always been and always will be. Yeah. Uh, and it should also not make us any less generous, right, in what the Lord is calling us to do individually, me, Beth, you, Father Steve, <laughs> yeah. and all of our listeners, right? It should not, these, these challenges that we face should not allow us to become less generous. Well, I know talking to you always gives me hope to me see the way God is kind of yeah. working in your life and the way... You know, even just kind of talking it through with someone to see, like, okay, yeah, kind of fired yeah. up for the work he's got for us. So yeah. I hope our listeners feel the same way. And yeah. hearing this, don't feel weighed down by it, but, like, yeah. you know, feel encouraged and hopeful in it. Yeah, let's see these as the challenges God has given us to grow. This has been the Encounter Grow Witness podcast featuring Father Steve Pullis and me, Beth Spazarni. This podcast is intended to be a source of support and refreshment for those who work for the church and Mission Direct, those who are engaged as volunteers, who are leading things. So be sure to like and subscribe to this monthly podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And lastly, if this podcast has been a support to you, please consider leaving a five-star review that will enable us to reach more people. A lot of great podcasts out there have a lot more reviews than ours, and I think y'all should go ahead and leave a review for us.